Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, Nick Polak. Still not here, we haven't quite found him yet. Uh, he just kind of disappeared for a while, and maybe we'll be able to get him back on on Sunday. Who knows at this point, though? So we had to go out, and we would normally get a few guests since it's a preview episode, and Nick's not here, and all that, but it's Rutgers, so who cares? We got Matt to bear. Matt, what's happening? Not much, Bill. Good to talk to you again. Right back at you. Uh, I'm... After the last two weeks, Matt, I don't think there is a single team I would rather Penn State plays than Rutgers. Uh, not because I think Rutgers is terrible, and we'll get into this for a second, but I just feel like, you know, Penn State has historically owned Rutgers. This is normally a game that you can expect with some amount of certainty Penn State's going to be able to, at the very least, out-athlete them for four quarters. And I, I think this is just kind of a game that Penn State needs at this point don't you agree absolutely and i think um you know college football is not that difficult a game you know more often than not the team with the better players is going to win um you know that's not always the case we saw it last week in a new scene but it wasn't like penn state lost to a team of 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 no names that hasn't had any success or anything like that and for like you said a, a improving records program there wasn't a whole lot. There was only one direction really to go after the last couple of years, um, but still, there's there's going to be a huge talent discrepancy on display Saturday afternoon, and, um, and we'll get into it here a little bit. But I think not only is Rutgers kind of the cure for what ails Penn State right now, as far as um, you know, getting things back on track and being a little bit more of a a well oiled machine, so to speak. Um, but I think they're going to be challenged in some key spots too, like we've talked about during the week. Absolutely, and uh, this week Rutgers, we're not used to saying this, but Rutgers is coming into this game with a, uh, it's a long shot, I would argue, with bowl eligibility, but 4-5 and five on the season, 3-3 uh, three and three mark in Big Ten play, which for Rutgers is really great. They've won three of their last four games, uh, they've beaten Illinois, Purdue, and Maryland in Big Ten play, and they've lost to uh, Nebraska close. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan, Penn State this week, Indiana the week after, Michigan State the week after that. Again, I don't think this is a team that's going to be going bowling. Uh, I just think the end of the schedule does not set up favorably for them. But uh, Matt, at 4-5 and five on the year with a 3-3 three and three mark, this is unquestionably an improving Rutgers team. And I think the thing that entertains me the most when I think about this game is kind of like something that you said, and I want to dive into this, but there are ways that Rutgers is not a bad football team. There are some ways that Rutgers is actually a pretty solid to good football team. Uh, As you're looking at this team and how it's put together, like, where would you say they are? Because I think we agree they're at the bottom of the Big Ten, but they're not the worst team in the Big Ten, which is kind of new territory for them. For sure. I think, um, you know, as we were getting ready, believe it or not, we actually prepare for these things. As we were getting ready for a little bit. start recording here, um, and even during the week, just trying to figure out, you know, what exactly Penn State's going to be up against um, on Saturday. Um, it's, uh, Rutgers has been the absolute, standard bearer for 14 out of 14 in the big 10. Um, it really hasn't been that close 
the last couple of years. You know, we all joked last year about their their shutout. You know, lack lack of doing anything against Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Um, in fact, they they did not score against any of the the big four in the Big Ten East until um, just a couple of weeks ago against Michigan in that thirty five to fourteen loss. But they they've won three out of four, like you said. They're four and five on the year, but it's kind of been feast or famine if you look at, at who they played. They lost um, they they lost to Washington the first week um, at home in a game that was thirty to fourteen. That probably really wasn't that close. They kind of hung around for a quarter or two until uh, the Huskies, you know, kind of pulled away and, and and played out the string there. And then it looked like here we go again in week two when um, Eastern Michigan came to Piscataway and uh, knocked off Rutgers 16 to 13. And it actually turns out the Eastern Michigan Eagles are not that bad a team. They're 55th in S&P Plus and are um, themselves five and f- or three and six on the year. Um, but when you look at, at who Rutgers has beat, they beat um, Illinois number 114 in S&P Plus, Maryland 97 in S&P Plus. And I swore this was a misprint when I first read it, but Purdue is number 38 in S&P+. Yeah, man. People sleep on on our beloved Boilermakers. I I haven't figured it out yet. They're still going to win the Big Ten West. I need to crush the numbers (laughs) some more, but I think that's coming. And then, of course, the the win over Morgan State um, from the FCS level um, early on in the year. Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, yes, they haven't exactly beaten a who's who of, of named teams, but, you know, the Nebraska game, they kept it within 10 in Lincoln. Um, they went to Illinois and won. They beat Purdue at home. They beat Maryland at home last week. Those are games they weren't winning a year ago. Um, and I think Chris Ash deserves a ton of credit because this thing looked like it could go sideways pretty quickly after the Eastern Michigan game. Um, and really, even you know the Nebraska and Ohio State game, they were sitting at, that would have been, what, 1-4 and four at that point? And they've turned around to go three and one with a, a win on the road. Um, they've beaten teams that are kind of in that same area of the standings in the Big Ten, if you look at it as a whole. And you, know, you, you have to walk before you run. And I think that's kind of where Rutgers is right now. Um, and you look at their just kind of overall numbers, their, their offensive numbers aren't great. They're 98th in efficiency, 127th in, in explosiveness. Um, and then you break it down to the, the rushing attack isn't bad. They're 29th. The rushing defense is not bad. They're 66th. Um, really, if there's anywhere they, they really are are still building, it's in the passing game. Um, they are 113th overall um, in S&P Plus in passing. But their pass defense is solid at 51st. So I think this is a Rutgers team that, like I said, like you said, is going to force Penn State to not have to sleepwalk through this game to to win handily like I think you and I both expect them to. Um, Penn State's going to have to show up. They're going to have to um, be ready to play. And that's, all, that's a huge cliche. And after, you know, two tough losses on the road, um, you know, who knows what to expect with a bunch of college kids. But um, from Franklin's comments during the week and – just kind of knowing the personality of the Penn State team in general, you'd think that this is going to be one they're going to they're going to be ready for. I don't think um, I think they're fortunate that Rutgers, with the three you know, three wins out of their last four games, um, gets your attention a little bit. I think you've got a lot of um, important players from New Jersey: you know, Saeed Blacknall, Mike Gasicki, 
uh, Jason Cabinda that are going to play key roles in this game that are certainly going to be ready for it. Um, and I think it's, it's, you're getting back home. Um, and Penn State's been a different team at home um, for the last two years. And probably, you know, if you want to really get into it, probably for the all four years under James Franklin. And we've seen it all over the country all year. We saw it la- you know, last week in, in Iowa City with, with Ohio State and Iowa. Going on the road is, is tough. And getting back home is huge. It's a homecoming game, uh, military appreciation. So there's going to be a lot of things I think will create a little more buzz than your typical noon game against Rutgers on BTN. Um, but like I said, it's not one of those show up and win by 40 kinds of games like we've seen against Rutgers previously. For sure. And I, you know, I mean, this is something that Nick and I, and you've said this, a uh, few people on the pod have said this, but Chris Ash is a good football coach. I mean, there is a reason that he was able to get a head coaching job at, I, I, he was a younger dude. I don't remember exactly how old he was. Uh, yeah, he's 43 right now. He was able to get a head coaching job at 41 or 42, whatever it was. And he is trying to build a culture at Rutgers. And what he wants to do is he wants to build teams that are tough, that are hard-nosed, that are physical, that are going to try and win in the trenches, that are going to try and make games kind of ugly. And Rutgers has managed to do that a few times this year. I mean... Look at their losses. Wisconsin, that's a 16-point loss. Eastern Michigan, a three-point loss. Nebraska, 10-point loss. Uh, I I, I want to say they hung with Michigan for a bit, but I'm not 100% sure about that. They but, did. They kind of hung around. Yeah. It was yeah, at Michigan. It was kind of um, – it was still, still the John O'Corn era. Um, oh, yeah, that was the game that, that game. you got benched for Peters, correct? Yeah, it was – I don't know if it was 14-14 or 14-7. Um, it was 14-7, yeah, in the <laughs> second quarter. So, But I think you saw, you know – Chris, first of all, you're not a if you're not a good football coach, you're not getting a job on Urban Meyer's staff. So I think that that answers that. <laughs> I, question I like how Chris that's Ash. what you go to instead of if you're not not a good football coach, you're not getting a head coaching job. Instead, you decided to go with the Urban Meyer thing. So I well, it's that. a head coaching job at Rutgers. So yes. you know, let's let's not go crazy here. Um, but they play hard, and I think yeah. they they make up for talent deficiencies against probably most of the teams, if not every team they've faced with the exception of Morgan state with really playing hard. And, um, in a lot of cases, that's, that's going to be enough to, to cover up some warts. And, um, like, I, like we've kept saying, that's going to be, um, the reason Penn state needs to be ready to go, um, from the opening kickoff. For sure. And yeah, you're going to lose 56 and nothing to Ohio State, and you're going to lose by three touchdowns to Michigan, and there's a good chance they get blown out by Penn State and Michigan State, but just watching Rutgers, you can tell the team's a little bit different. I When I'm looking through their, uh, their S&P Plus numbers, kind of like you just mentioned, this team is good at running the football. It is 29th nationally in rushing S&P+. Plus. And on the other side of things, it's 66th in defensive at rushing S&P+, Plus, which isn't great, but that's still okay. I mean... And I, I think those numbers, too, kind of speak to that toughness. You know, mm-hmm. tough football teams run the football well. Tough football teams defend the, the rush well. Um, and that's, you know, right where Rutgers is. They... Um, they don't hit the big play. They don't have the athletes to hit the big play on the on the ground game, but they you know, their um, success rate is number sixty in the country, and they do a good job 
eliminating the big play um, on defense in the rushing game 42nd. at 42nd. So I think it's we keep we keep going back to the same point, and there's a lot of things that back it up. If you don't even watch their games, that they they do things that well coached teams that play hard do, um, and they're just they don't have they don't have the Jimmys and the Johns quite yet to keep up with with the Ohio States or the Penn States or the Michigans of the world. And to to the credit of Chris Ash, I mean, they're it's not like it's a team that's completely devoid of talent. I mean, they're getting a little bit better at this. I mean, Rutger, they're not going to be able to throw out the athletes as consistently as Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan and those schools, but they're getting a little bit better. They're taking small steps forward, which for a team like Rutgers is kind of what you have to hope you can get. And on the other side, for a team like Penn State, which the last two weeks, two losses by a total of four points, getting home and getting the chance to just beat the crap out of a bad team is something that I'm sure they'd love. But I'm sure the coaches would love even more to see how the team would respond to something like this. I'm going to go back to uh, what James Franklin said at his uh, coaches show on uh, on Thursday night when he was asked about kind of bouncing back from the Ohio State game. He said, I think it's good. I would probably say this. I don't think we got over the Ohio State game quickly enough. I don't think our guys responded well. And that's all of us. This week, energy is back the way I expect it to be right now. I feel good about where we're at. We're playing a surging Rutgers team right now. And we all realize this Rutgers team, with just how close we are to each other, it's an important game. So what James Franklin is basically saying is he thinks that Penn State is mentally ready to go. And he, it almost seems like he kind of thinks they need to, Matt, because like we mentioned at the start of this program, there are some things that Rutgers does, namely on the defensive side of the ball, that Penn State could really afford to kind of get tested a little bit against. So it's not it's getting recalibrated, but it's getting recalibrated, so to speak, against a team that knows what it's doing. I think that's that's very fair. I think it's um you've heard a lot of um I think it was during the press conference on Tuesday or practice availability on Wednesday with Franklin kind of probably as much as we've heard in his four years here challenging um, his offensive line to, to get tougher, to finish plays. Um, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a dual meaning in that. One, they're going to get tested, like we've been, we talked about um, by Rutgers along the, their defensive front. But more to the point, I think he sees a chance for them to kind of um, start to emerge from this, this blip of the last three or four games especially against um, arguably the, the two best defensive fronts. They probably face the three best defensive fronts in the Big Ten going back to the Michigan game, but they've struggled against the last two away from home. Um, so I think this is an opportunity with you know getting back home, clearing your head a little bit, facing some inferior talent to, to, to kind of re, you know get yourself pointed back in the right direction against um, – a challenging team, but a team that you, because you're more talented than, than them in, in key spots, really kind of assert your will. Um, and I, I go back and forth on this. I, I 
part of me wonders if this is going to be one of those games where after a quarter and a half, it's, you know, 13 to six or 10, seven or something like that. Where we're all kind of looking at, you know, wondering what's going on. And then the light bulb goes off and they kind of run away with it late. Or, and I'm kind of reading this way that because of all this talk, not just this week, but over the last couple of weeks coming out of the Ohio state game, even with just how much they've struggled to get, get Barkley going on the ground more than anything. Um, and, and protecting McSorley in the Ohio State game specifically too, that they're going to kind of come out with with uh, all guns ablazing and and kind of take over the game right from the start. Um, so that's that's I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but I think that's something to keep an eye on is just how ready they are. I think um, this is one of those games where it can really go to either extreme um, and not a whole lot in the middle to to start the game. Indeed, and when I'm looking at Rutgers, their defense, their three most productive defensive players are uh, a pair of linebackers, Trevor Morris and Deontay Roberts, and defensive back, K.J. Gray. The reason I find that so interesting is because normally when Penn State is able to get to that second level in their running game, that's normally where Saquon Barkley is able to shine. That's where he's able to start making some defensive backs look bad. I mean, this is something I wrote about on the site, but there's a reason why basically every statistic that involves getting the ball past the line of scrimmage, Penn State's rushing attack is really good at, but every ball that involves, every stat that involves measuring how good you are at getting past the line of scrimmage, Penn State is not good at. And Rutgers is the kind of team, they have those guys in that second level, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, they're 42nd nationally in rushing ISO PPP, that... Penn State is going to have to try and put Saquon Barkley in positions where he's going to have to make guys miss, and he's going to be challenged by guys who are going up against him in that second and third level. And I think that's something big. I mean, with how Penn State has, like you said, kind of hasn't really gotten Saquon Barkley going the last couple of weeks, at least not in the way that we're used to Saquon Barkley getting going. I think that's something that's going to be really big, and it's something that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to, especially because, and this is uh, where this game gets really interesting to me, Penn State is 125th in offensive stuff rate. 25.4% of Penn State's rushing attempts are for zero or fewer yards. On the other side of the coin, Rutgers' defensive stuff rate is 126th nationally. 13.2% of the rushing attempts they face are for zero or fewer yards. Penn State's offensive weakness also happens to be Rutgers' defensive weakness. And I'm really interested to see how Penn State's kind of able to take advantage of that, if they're able to take advantage of that, because this was around the time last year where we saw Penn State's offensive line even with injuries to Andrew Nelson and Brendan Mayen, it seemed like this November stretch last year, I mean, we'll go to October 29th against Purdue, then against Iowa, then Indiana, then Rutgers, Michigan State, and eventually Wisconsin and USC, where Penn State's line started to really come together and gel. And I think going up against a defensive front that will let you do that is good. But I also think going up against a defensive Uh, a group of linebackers and a secondary that is pretty good at keeping you from getting big plays on the ground against them 
is also something that's going to be really good for Penn State. I'm not too worried about Penn State's defense. Uh, sadly, the big issue that it's had the past couple of weeks has been really twofold. One, getting to the quarterback, and two, stopping teams from throwing the ball. Uh, Rutgers is not good at throwing the ball. They're 113th in passing S&P+, 116th in passing success rate, 117th in passing ISO PPP, while being 19th in adjusted sack rate. So basically, when you're going against Rutgers, you're not getting to the quarterback, but it doesn't matter. And I think this is a good week for Penn State's defensive front to try and get into some kind of a groove against a good offensive line when it comes to keeping a quarterback upright, Matt. But at the same time, they don't have. I don't think you know, knock on, there's no wood around here, knock on wood, that it won't really matter because this just is not what Rutgers is good at. I Exactly. <laughs> that was one of those numbers that you kind of, and Bill, you and I talked you know, a fair amount off the air, so to speak, about some of the weird numbers and S&P Plus and other you know, stats that are out there. And to be 113th or worse, in the three major passing uh, metrics that Bill Conley tracks in S and P plus, but to be 19th in sack rate, it's all, it's bizarre. You, 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 you feel bad that for the it, offensive line because they're doing their job, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, aside from Janarian grant, they don't really have any sort of explosiveness um, in their receiver positions. And actually, their their leading receivers, their tight end Jerome Washington. Um, but I'm looking at, at yards per catch here. Washington's 10.5, Grant's 10.4. Damon Mitchell's actually the big play threat at at 13 yards. If you eliminate um, f- uh, former future Penn Stater Bo Melton, um, the freshman who has I, I has one him. catch for 48 yards. He he's a he's a he's a very good player, uh, and I think his his he has big things ahead of him. Um, but he's he's got one catch for 48 yards. So anyone who has been a consistent um, uh, receiving target hasn't, and, and and their explosiveness in the passing game reflects that. They don't they don't beat you downfield. Um, they just don't have those athletes aside from Grant. And I think um, we've talked a lot about it. This is a week where Penn State can get right, and I think this is a week where the passing game or passing defense, the secondary, can really start to you know, point the ship back in the right direction again after um, the last five quarters specifically against um, Barrett to close up the game in Columbus and then Lewerke um, in East Lansing last weekend um, that really um, was able to expose some things. I think, again, getting back home will be helpful. I think facing and then facing a team that isn't going to challenge them athletically in the ways that they were they were challenged the last two weeks um, is, is going to help with the confidence level. And it's confidence is as big a thing as any, um, anything in, in the game. It feels like, um, you know, the, the snowball effect of the, of the fourth quarter in Columbus. And like Franklin said, they kind of let that, that game linger and affect them a little bit longer than they probably should have. Um, and so I think, you know, yes, Mich- Michigan state deserves a ton of credit not to go back to that game too much. Um, but, that was just one more area too, where I think Penn State did not did not make plays, did not play the way that they've played really all year. Um, and credit to Michigan State for taking advantage of that. And now they come back home and face a team that isn't going to. Um, this doesn't have the players, whether it's the quarterback or the receiving threats, to um, 
to challenge them in those same ways. Uh, not that I don't think they're going to try. I think we saw um, some issue, issues with the linebackers and zone coverage, um, you know, missed tackles and things like that. I think there's, you know, and you watch two teams do it for the last two games, expose some, some soft spots in Penn State's passing defense. And I think you're going to see Rutgers try and do that, but they're not going to have the, the players to do that um, that Penn State has seen the last two weeks. I would agree. And the, the thing that stuns me about Rutgers, you know, going back to their passing numbers, was it's not like they have a total schmuck at quarterback. They're throwing Kyle Bolin out there, a former four-star recruit, um, enrolled at Louisville, ended up at Rutgers. I believe, uh, if memory serves, Giovanni Rasigno, uh, I'm Italian, I should know this, but I don't. I believe he actually won the job out of camp, uh, but then Bolin was able to take it, and he's stayed upright. He has three sacks, he's been sacked three times in the season, but only completing 54.9% of his passes, three touchdowns to six interceptions. I mean, Rutgers is not a team that's going to beat you through the air. They're going to try and beat you on the ground. And that kind of gets into uh, something we talk about every week, which looking at both sides of the coin here, Matt, first up, how does Penn State lose this football game? Uh, I, th- I feel like I'm repeating myself here, and I'm probably even going back to when we talked on – on Monday after the uh, the Michigan State game, that Ohio State beat Penn State. I don't think, um, to go back briefly to that, but I think for four quarters last week, Penn State did a lot more beating of themselves than Michigan State did. Missed tackles, um, the interceptions, drop passes, missed blocks. Um, they made a lot of uncharacteristic, unforced errors that um, weren't a result of Michigan State, you know, pushing them too far in one direction or um, you know, making making a number of great plays. Um, Penn State needs to get back to limiting mistakes, hanging on to the football, forcing turnovers. And I think if they're going to lose this game, it's going to be because they're, they're putting the ball on the ground. McSorley's throwing it to the wrong team. Um, passes are being dropped. Um, you know, special teams mistakes. Um, like we saw the block punt in Columbus. I think because of that talent disparity that we've harped upon quite a bit so far tonight, that you're going to need Rutgers is going to need some help from Penn state if they want to win the game. And more than any other game, when you're, when you're playing an inferior team, and I mentioned this earlier in the year before one of the the non-conference games, um, don't ask me to remember which one it was. Um, but the way the more talented team loses to an inferior team, talented team is by making mistakes and Penn State just quite simply needs to limit those mistakes because they are far and away the better football team you're right and the thing that I'm actually find interesting is that uh, Rutgers is third nationally in expected turnover margin which but they are 65th in actual turnover margin their turnover margin of the year is zero their expected turnover margin is 8.5 so, basically, Rutgers is the kind of team that should be able to make the occasional play, and they just haven't been able to do it. So, I do agree with you. I think it's a mix of that, and it's just a hangover. I mean, Penn State's lost two games back-to-back in heartbreaking fashion, while Rutgers is coming into this game with a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence. What happens if, you know, the longer that you let the worse 
you, that you let the worst team hang around. We've seen this plenty of times. You do not want to be going into a dogfight at the end of a game against a worse team because the longer you let them hang around, the more confidence they get, the less confidence you have, and the more likely is they're able to make you really upset. So I think it's that, and I think it's Rutgers' ability. If they're able to force a couple of turnovers, which they haven't been able to do, but they have been in position to do a few times this year, if Rutgers is able to run the football efficiently. I'm not saying they do it well. I'm saying, you know, they're just able to go four yards, four yards, three yards, and just consistently do that. Maybe complete a pass every now and then, even though that's kind of not what they do. And Penn State just looks sluggish and they look disinterested. And I don't think, because that's just not what I, this is not what I expect out of a James Franklin team. But how many times have we seen it in college football where a team hopes to play for a national championship, then that gets taken away from them, and then they hope to play for maybe a conference championship to maybe salvage that chance to play for a title, and that gets taken away from them too, and then they're just kind of caught in this no-man's land, and they come out flat, and they don't look as engaged as usual, and it leads to just a rough football game. I don't think that's going to happen, Matt. I really think Penn State winning this game is just as simple as they play their game. Like, do not try and do anything special. Do not try and do anything out of the ordinary. Just play Penn State football, and you're going to win this football game. Is there anything, like, that I would potentially be missing there that you think maybe an X factor or something like that? Or do you really just think it's that simple? No, I, I think it's, like I said, when, when you're the better team, it, it really is. You play your game. You don't you don't help the other team out. They're not going to make plays on their own or they're not going to make enough plays on their own to beat you. So they, you need to, to at least partially, if not significantly beat yourself. And, and you mentioned something that, that Penn state fans that go back long enough know really well, you know, we think about the 99 team that had national championship aspirations and, um, you know, lost the, the Minnesota game on the, the heartbreaker with the hail Mary and then went out and Tom Brady ripped their hearts out the next week, and then they laid an absolute egg against Michigan State to suddenly go from 9-0 and the number one team in the country to 9-3 and in the Alamo Bowl. Um, again, I don't like you said, I don't think that's this team. I think if there's one thing you can point to over the last you know, 12, 12 and a half calendar months with Penn State football under James Franklin, it's they, they don't beat themselves. Um, I think in, in in two of the last three losses, the Rose Bowl in Ohio State, I think they they were beaten. Yeah, you know we can argue all day about the you know the, the, the play calling and the, the lack of a killer instinct. Um, the fact of the matter is they scored what thirty eight points and forty nine points in the Ohio State game and the the Rose Bowl respectively, and they lost. You know sometimes the other guy takes it from you too. Yeah, sometimes the other team just has a good game, which fortunately I do not think we are at too big of a risk of this week. No, and I, and I don't think, you know, to look ahead a little bit, we're allowed to. We're fans, not players or coaches. Um, I don't think there's a team on the schedule. Uh, you know, maybe if they were going to Lincoln, you know, it would be a little bit different. Or maybe if Maryland wasn't on their 19th quarterback of the year, it'd be a little bit different going to College Park. But I think Penn State has, has, has two things going in their favor. One, they're, they're, they're markedly better than the remaining three teams on the regular season schedule. And two, I think they've got a, a group of seniors and a group of um, you know, juniors and even underclassmen in leadership roles that aren't going to let that happen. 
And I think they've got a coaching staff that is very much um, has 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 the perspective just right going into this this home stretch. Yeah, your main goals, you know, you're not, you're almost certainly not going to play for a Big Ten championship unless things get really weird the next three weeks. Which, hey, that'd be great. I'd love to go back to Indianapolis. Um, okay, your college football, sure. your college football playoff dreams are again almost certainly over unless things get even stupider on a national scale. Um, but I think um, it's it's almost one of the 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 benefits of this playoff system where there are still big games to play for. There's the orange bowl, there's the peach bowl, the cotton bowl, the fiesta bowl. Um, you know, even if you get outside of the new year's six games, you know, the capital one bowl, or I guess it's back to the citrus bowl. Now um, in Orlando, that's always been a big game. It's always been a big, big 10 sec matchup. Um, those are all things that are still um, very much attainable for Penn state. If they take care of their business down the stretch, um, they're still, they're what 14th in the, the latest college football rankings, Teams ahead of them are going to lose. They're going to have chances to move back up, and those rankings play play a, a key role in determining who gets goes to those New Year's Six games that aren't part of the the playoff. Um, that's all still in front of them. And if and, if I may for one I, second, Penn State's about to be the second highest ranked team in the Big Ten East as long as they win this week because Michigan it's Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State are I believe it's Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State. Uh, yes, yeah, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Ohio State, Michigan State play this week. Penn State wins. One of those teams are going to lose. Penn State's going to move up at least one spot. They are guaranteed to do that this week. Yeah, and, and not to, to get too far off of off of the Rutgers game, um, but we talked about it on Monday. This is still a pretty pretty damn good team. Yes, they have their flaws. Um, yes, they're not going to reach their their primary goals this year unless unless things get totally crazy. Um, but it's still a good football team. It's still a team that should win 10 games. It's going to have a shot to win 11 games um, in a postseason game. Um, those are still still huge goals for this program that um, you know is, is going to fall short of, of what we all hope for this year. Um, but it's, it's another step towards where they, where they ultimately want to get, where, where this kind of year is the expectation. Um, and, and you do that by, by recovering from a couple of tough losses to two pretty good teams. Um, you know, I don't care what, what Iowa to do, Ohio State. Um, yes, it matters. Yes, it knocks Ohio State out of the playoff and all that, that stuff. Um, but Ohio State is still a damn good team. Um, you know, you look up and down the roster, and there's a lot of guys going to be playing on Sunday, a lot of them as soon as next year. Um, and they took that team in their house to the absolute end. Um, you know, credit Michigan State. They're they've recovered unbelievably well from from a, a massive letdown season last year. Um, but and and you lose those games. You know, Ohio State had visions of of undefeated seasons and playoff hopes. And you know what? They're right at seven and two, just like Penn State's at seven and two. Um, you know, Florida State's had the wheels totally fall off. So I think that's those are you know, almost cautionary tales when you look at a team like Florida State about what you need to do when when you lose that big game um, or maybe a couple of big games back to back like Penn state has is you are still a good team. Believe that you're still a good team and, and take care of business these next three weeks against teams that you are better than it better than no, for sure. And that's, I think that's something that they're probably preaching in that locker room this week, you know, coaches, players, whomever, like your season, it, there's still a lot that you could play for. I mean, if you are a 10-2 and two team in the Big Ten East that finishes second 
I won't say third. I'll say second uh, because that sounds better. But if you're the second or third best team in the Big Ten East, whatever it is, and you're sitting there with 10 wins, you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl in all likelihood. And even if you're not, you're going to one of the more prestigious, I don't want to say more prestigious, one of the biggest secondary bowls. And I think that's something that has to be kind of hammered home. Like, this season, there is still so much for Penn State to play for. And it starts with Rutgers. I mean, I don't want... I, I kind of want to do the want to know this week thing uh, pretty obviously, but there are three games left on this schedule, three games left to have Penn State's third back-to-back double-digit win season since the since 1990. Like, this team is trying to build a foundation while still being really, really good itself, and I think we see that this week. Uh My prediction is going to be, I think Penn State wins this game. I think they make a concerted effort to try and hang some points on Rutgers, and I wouldn't be surprised if that costs them a time or two. You know, Trace McSorley throws a couple of deep passes that get picked off, things like that. Uh, I will say Penn State wins this game. I'll go 42-10. to Something along those lines where the 10 points that Rutgers is able to get is kind of directly tied to mistakes that Penn State makes uh, just for being a little too aggressive and maybe needing to settle down a little bit later in the game. But I think midway, th- I don't think this game is over at halftime, but I think it's over by midway through the third quarter. Matt, where are you at on this one? I refuse to believe that, that Rutgers is going to score. I'm not even counting that field goal they kicked when it was 21 to three a couple years ago at that, that early, early year, night, early season night game. Uh, when Akil Lynch had had the big run, and um, you know, it was kind of kind of one of the, the signature games of an otherwise forgettable year, that twenty-eight to three win. Um, so that that field goal that Rutgers kicked to make it twenty-one three instead of twenty-one nothing, um, sometime in the third or fourth quarter, whenever that was, doesn't count. So I refuse to believe Rutgers is going to score a point in Beaver Stadium until I see it happen with my own eyes. Um, so I'll say fair. something like like thirty-eight nothing, forty-one nothing. Probably one of those games that, at times, um, you know, if you want to think of the Indiana game, for example, where it felt like they weren't really um, firing all cylinders. Um, but I think they, they hit some big plays. I think they, like I said earlier, get out to a big lead to start um, because they're going to be um, so focused on getting off to a good start. Um, that Unless, like you said, Bill, they, they hand Rutgers some short fields or maybe a defensive score or something. Um, I, I quite frankly have a hard time seeing, seeing Rutgers get, get on the board um, unless Penn State makes it easy on them. Yeah, and th- that really is the entire thing, right? I mean, Penn State has lost the turnover battle the last couple of weeks. I don't think they're going to lose it again this week, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers is able to make a play or two. So, let's, uh, you know, I think this game's good. I think Penn State's going to end up coming out on top, and it's going to be really fun and uh I hope, Matt, that I'm able to, well, I'll have to be home at halftime for it because, uh, you know, I have some work things going on, but I hope I'm able to catch as much of the marquee Big Ten game this week, which for whatever reason is kicking off at noon on Fox, Michigan State at Ohio State. I, I think I have a read on this one. I feel really weird saying what my read is, though. So I want to hear what you think about this. I, 
I feel like every time I'm on we, and we do these predictions, I'm, I'm the guy that's always saying it's going to be one of these two extremes with nothing in between, and I'm going to do it again because I think this is either Ohio State runs away with this or Michigan State keeps it terribly close. I don't think this is going to be one of those you know, 31-17 games that kind of feels like Michigan State's hanging around, but um, you know, if they get a play, they get right back in it. Um, I think if if Michigan State plays well, I think they're going to be right there to the end, and you know it's a coin flip who's going to come away with it. But I'm I'm more inclined to think that, and, and part of that this is my my I, this idea in my mind that that angry Urban Meyer is the best coach in the country, um, even better than than regular Urban Meyer or regular Nick Saban. Um, his record coming off losses. Um, and I don't have it right in front of me, but um, I read a lot about it even over the summer when, when the whole revenge against Penn State angle was being played up. But um, that was not Ohio State football last week against Iowa. And, and full credit to Iowa for taking advantage of it. But a guy that had thrown one interception all season through four in one game, um, he threw the pick six right off the bat. Um, talking about JT Beard, obviously. Um and I, I think I even mentioned this in the podcast on Monday with you guys, uh, with the two of us and John, that we saw between Penn State and Ohio State just how much that game in Columbus two weeks ago took out of both teams. Um, you know, it's it's hard to get up for um, for you know you have a game that that's that big. You have game day, two top I guess it was top six teams at the time. Um, you know really a playoff elimination kind of game. Um, you know, the, the winner takes control of the big 10, you know, it was, it, there was everything to play for. And it was very obvious that both teams put everything into that physically and emotionally. Um, it's hard to get up two weeks in a row and it's even harder when you're going, um, on the road to do it. Um, and Penn state got the double whammy having to go on the road two straight weeks. Um, so I, I feel pretty strongly, um, and I know Vegas totally whipped on the line in the Iowa-Ohio State game last week, but Ohio State's something like a 15-point favorite. Let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, it's something ridiculous. 16 and a half. Yeah. It's up to 16 and a half now. Um, I feel pretty good that that's going to be pretty accurate. I think um, Ohio State's going to have a renewed confidence in getting the ball to J.K. Dobbins, who has not touched the ball nearly enough in their last two games. Um, I think they, they're going to benefit greatly from getting back home and, and to p- flip the coin over a little bit. I think Michigan state's played, played a really big home game, um, that they clearly put a lot into last year. They played, played unbelievably well. The number of plays they made, you know, Felton Davis making great catch after great catch, Lewerke, um, you know, standing in the pocket and, and just really on the money all, all afternoon. Um, it's going to be hard. It's, it's a, it's a horrible situation, I guess, for Michigan State to walk into. It looks like, from an outside perspective, a, a team that's not happy at all about how they played the week before. Your Michigan State's now going on the road to one of the toughest places to play in the country against an angry team coming off a huge win. Um, that one just screams let down to me. But on the other hand, what's what's my first rule or second rule of college football? Mark D'Antonio's a witch, and and we've we've seen it reemerge again this year. Can um, he can he control the weather outside of East Lansing? I don't know. And, and think about this: but the last time that Michigan State won in Columbus a couple of years ago, 
um, on the the uh, the um, yeah yeah that like fourteen walk off field goal with whatever, the yeah. uh, the windmill guitar and everything um, was in a was in horrible weather. I don't know if it was rain or snow or what, but um, the what other than cold, it sounds like it's going to be be dry in Columbus this weekend. And I just I have a real hard time seeing how Michigan State keeps this game close. I think I agree. I mean, when I saw that line, and when I I, I looked at Bill C's numbers, he had this at a uh, Ohio State winning by about thirteen and a half points, which sounds right. I mean, you know, not trying to disrespect Michigan State. I know that's the most dangerous thing in sports, but this just seems like kind of what you said. Ohio State got embarrassed last week, and nobody is worse at, you know, being embarrassed than Urban Meyer is. And I think that this week he's going to come out, and he's going to have his team ready to go and really focused and locked in, knowing that they have to win this game if they want to salvage any chance at winning the Big Ten Championship. And yeah... It's against a really good uh, a really good football team. I don't necessarily think Ohio State is cooked when it comes to the national title. I mean, I think that if any two-win team can make it in, uh, it's a two-win team that is at the top of, you know, basically every advanced statistic. For sure, and they've Ohio got the State, benefit yeah. of if, if they win out, they're going to have wins over, you know, a good Michigan State, a good Michigan State team, a good Penn State team. Um, a pretty good Michigan team, and then presumably a very good Wisconsin team. Um, that they'll have the 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 wins to hold up there Absolutely. if they get the kind of help in front Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. Um, and, and in kind of indirectly, they've still got a lot to play for. Right? Even if, the, if you just take the playoff totally out of it, they can still win the Big Ten, and they're probably still the yeah. favorite to win the Big Ten. They need if yeah. they, they lose another game, then all bets are off. But um, it's you look at Penn State last year; they they lost the Michigan game early. The the circumstances are different. Um, but, but one loss in the conference in, in the big 10 East, especially does not, um, take you out of anything. If you, you take care of business otherwise, um, and until it's, I've proven otherwise, I'm going to chalk Saturday, Ohio State's Iowa game on Saturday up to, um, just a a bad day where nothing went right and a tough place to play. Yeah. I mean, Kinnick magic happens every once in a while. We thought Penn State was a team that was going to get Kinnick ended up being Ohio State and, yeah, I, I just have I can't reconcile in my head that Ohio State coached by Urban Meyer can lose two games in a row, no matter how tough the back-to-back games are. That's just not this team's DNA. So I think this I, I think Ohio State wins pretty comfortably, but anything is possible. Um, what is impossible is me watching a single second of Indiana, Illinois. Um, oh. Yeah, like ugh. I, I, I feel yeah. bad for our friends over at Crimson Quarry, but... Indiana's not what terrible. Happened? Like, I, I'm convinced that Indiana yeah. is not terrible. They're not, but they just... They they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to look them up on S&P Plus right now, because there is no way that they're as terrible as uh, their record indicates. Like, I honestly think their big issue is just they cannot throw the football... But I, you know, haven't watched them too terribly much. They are, they're sixty-eight percent chance to win this game. My computer is being slow. They're number sixty-two nationally in S and P Plus, which very narrowly that's the top half of the country. Uh, 
They're a good defense, bad offense. I have to think that if they are going to win a game in the Big Ten, it's this one because I yeah that and they, still, they still have Rutgers, Rutgers next weekend too. next weekend so they and, and at Purdue they've got, they've got yeah. the bucket game they can they can win the they, they could they yeah they could they, win all they three should of those. be favored in their, in their last three games I would think except I for think Purdue, they got like two Purdue, Purdue I would imagine but yeah um, I mean sick they they have a they have a chance to win all three I think. I, I just cannot, with how bad Illinois has looked this year, I cannot imagine them winning this game. Well, I'm looking at their results here, too, and um, you know the, the losses to Ohio State and Penn State weren't that close, but the overtime loss to, to Michigan, the 17-9 loss at Michigan State, the three-point loss at Maryland, they've lost three, they lost three straight one-possession games. Um, and, Bill, you know as well, you know, I've talked to you about this a ton, but the the coin flip idea in those one one score games they're they're a play away three straight weeks from from maybe being i'm not going to say they're going to be six and three but if they go two and one in those games and all of a sudden they're they're five and five and four if i'm doing my math right yeah yeah and all of a sudden and and yeah it's it's not great but they're you know in that scenario they have two loss two of their four losses are to um you know the the two best teams, two most talented teams, at least in the Big Ten East. So, yeah. um, th- they're close, and I'm looking at their wins now. They don't have they don't have a single win by one position. So they're zero three in coin flips this year, which um, you know is a lot of times just dumb luck. Yeah, and w- looking at them, Ohio. When you're a team that has to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, and Wisconsin, like that—that's going to be tough. I feel bad for Indiana. I think they're probably—they're definitely better than what their record indicates. Um, that yeah, that game kicks at noon on BTN. Also kicking it. Oh wait, no, let's play the ticket price game. Uh, Matt, two hundred forty-one tickets available. Game is at Illinois. Two hundred forty-one seems like a lot fewer than I anticipated. What is the cheapest ticket for this game? Um, what's the, the StubHub minimum? Yes, what's the StubHub minimum? Two bucks? Three bucks. bucks. I have three bucks. Three bucks? Yeah. I'm going with three bucks then. Yeah. There you go. So if <laughs> you're in Champaign, Illinois, and you have $3 to spend, do that. Uh, next it's up. Probably like, it's probably okay. like three fifty with the fees. Right. Well, now it's StubHub, so with fees, it'll be like $35. But uh, moving on, FS1, another noon kick, Nebraska at Minnesota. This is another game that I just cannot imagine myself caring for. Well, um, I, I can't even think of anything to say about that yeah, game. No, neither can I. So let's move on to an actually really interesting game. Uh, it looked like it was going to maybe be a little bit interesting, and then Iowa went out and kicked the hell out of Ohio State last week. Iowa at Wisconsin, 3.30 kick ABC. I think Wisconsin wins this game, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the score indicates... Actually, no, I would be surprised if the score indicates that it's comfortable. Like, I cannot imagine the team that wins this game exceeds, like... 21 points because I just think both of these teams, this game is just strength on strength. It's two teams that are going to want to line you up, run the ball right at you and win in the trenches. Like this is going to be, if you are the kind of football fan who hates, you know, spread offenses and chucking the ball over the place on this game's for you because this is an old school college football game. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, everyone knows about Wisconsin's schedule and, and missing, um, three of the big four from the big 10 East and crossover games, how down the, the big 10 West is. Um, 
and they and they get even their challenging games in in the division Northwestern and and Iowa in Camp Randall. You know, it's every single break they could get they've absolutely had. And the the one reason I think Iowa or uh, Wisconsin wins this relatively handily, you know, something like twenty one ten, um, you know, twenty four thirteen, you know, one of those typical mid-November Big Ten kind of games um, between two teams that are just going to line up and, um, you know, knowing exactly what's coming and, you know, okay, try and stop it. Um, Iowa has not been that good away from home. Um, they won yep. at Iowa State in the shootout, um, lost at Michigan State, lost at Northwestern. Um, and this is their, just their, uh, I guess would that be, fourth road game. Um, going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Um, again, coming off the big high last week, then having to go on the road, um, it's kind of the, the Michigan State scenario in a sense, um, where Iowa needs a lot of help. Um, Wisconsin can lose three times, and I guess, <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, I guess it would only be twice if Iowa were to win out. Um, but Wisconsin has the division all but wrapped up, so Iowa is not necessarily playing for a Big Ten championship. They're playing for for bowl seeding as it is. Um, I just, and they're playing for nine and three, which, you know, for Iowa football, whenever you can get one of these seasons under your belt, especially when, you know, you're going to be sending off a really great football player in Akamwadwi after this year. And also you're building on, uh, you know, what you want to do for next year, where you're bringing back Nate Stanley, you're bringing back Nick Easley and Noah Fant, you're bringing back some really good players on defense, even though you have to replace basically, no, you do have to replace your entire linebacking core, especially, you know, the incredible Josie Jewel. But you're, one, playing for pride this year to send off some guys, and two, building for next year when, hey, maybe you're able to get off to, you're able to win that close game against Penn State and against Michigan State, and you don't lose a heartbreaker to Northwestern, and you're fighting Wisconsin for the tight. Uh, comp- division title and not having to hope they screw up a few times. Yeah. And, and those are certainly things I, I guess I was talking more about some of those tangible th- sorts of things that we've talked about um, so far with regards to like, you know, Ohio state or Penn state or Michigan state on the other side of the conference. Um, you know, Wisconsin go- is going to the big 10 championship game unless, you know, unless something catastrophic happens. You almost beyond catastrophic when you look at how the standings shake out. But um I think Wisconsin is getting getting a bit of a raw deal. In one hand, deservedly so because of who they've played. Um, but I think you're hearing a lot. Of, well, they haven't looked good against them. It's hard to get up week after week when you are routinely going against teams that just aren't that good. Um, and I think I have a hard time believing with as much attention as this game has garnered now with Iowa's win last week and ascending to number 20 in the, the college football playoff rankings, that Wisconsin's not going to be ready for this one. And I think Wisconsin's a really good football team. I'm not sure they're one of the four best teams in the country, but I think they're a lot better than Iowa, especially in Camp Randall. So um, they're like a 12 or 13-point favorite in this game. I think they, not sure they cover it, but I think they're right around there. And I think it's one of those, those Wisconsin kind of games where it's not really that close. You know, maybe Iowa sneaks a, you know, a touchdown in to cut it to, the 21-10, you know, halfway through the third quarter and they don't sniff the end zone again, one of those kind of games. Um, Iowa just has not been, they've been a different team on the road. 
and they're going on the road to another one of those you know classic Big Ten venues against a really good team that um, has been quite frankly been hearing an awful lot about how good how how average they are because they haven't played anyone um, and I think this is as big a chance as Wisconsin had this season to make a statement and um, I think they make, they they take it they they make that statement. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, moving on to the next game, Michigan at Maryland. I three thirty kick BTN. This game, I think, is quietly a little interesting. I mean, I very obviously think Michigan is going to win. Uh, I can't imagine that uh, whatever warm body Maryland is throwing out at quarterback this week is going to be able to do much of anything uh, against Michigan's defense. And while you know, I like. Uh, the rushing attack that Maryland is going to be able to line up against most teams. I mean, I think Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison are a really fun one-two punch. I don't think they're going to be able to run too terribly well against uh, uh, against Michigan. But I also think, you know, Maryland, maybe they're able to dig their heels in a little bit at home. They're able to make this game a little bit ugly. They're able, if they are able to run the ball a bit, it's to control the clock and keep the ball out of Michigan's hands. And if this game, this is the game that I'm watching the most this week in terms of if it gets close in the fourth quarter, I think the underdog has a out an outstanding chance of winning it. Because I'm, you know, I'm not sold yet on. Uh, on Brandon Peters. I'm not sold on uh, how just mentally tough this Michigan team is. And I'd like to see if they're able to get challenged, which uh, they're going to be the next two weeks. Maryland, maybe. I don't think they will, but maybe they're able to make things interesting. Well, and all of a sudden, Michigan has to go on the road now after um, they got to ease Brandon Peters and in about the most ideal setting home against Rutgers home against Minnesota. Um, and now, um, DJ Durkin at Maryland is probably very quietly, um, two years ago was one of the best hires, um, during that, that coaching, um, carousel season. Um, th- his record, and we talked a lot about this, even going into the season that they could be better than they were last year, this year, and they wouldn't have a record that reflects it. Um, and then you factor in all the injuries at, at quarterback and, um, the fact they're sitting at five, four and five with a chance to make a bowl game, albeit having to win two out of three against Michigan at Michigan State and Penn State to close out the year, um, I think that's a huge testament to to the job that Durkin's done. Um, they're they're a solid team. They they're um, like we talked about with Rutgers. They play hard. Um, they probably have a little bit more talent than Rutgers has just by virtue of a little bit better recruiting even before Durkin got there and certainly since too that if Michigan's not ready to go um, yep. Yep. Maryland is going to make this an absolutely miserable day for them I'm not saying they're going to beat them um, but this is Going to Maryland is kind of like the the East Coast equivalent of going to Northwestern in a sense. Um, thank God for Michigan that it's a three thirty game, not a nooner. Um, but this, like you said, Bill, this is kind of has has weird college football written all over. I think Michigan wins, um, 
I gotta see what the line is on this one, but um, S and P plus has it at ten. If I'm reading that right, it's ten. Let me check something else here. Um, or seven, yeah, seventeen seems like an awful lot. I would I would jump all over um, Maryland plus seventeen there if that's actually accurate. Um, but I I think Michigan has you know has got a little bit of juice with with Peters going to the lineup over O'Corn. Um, I think he he fits what Michigan wants to do offensively better. Um, O'Corn was very much a, if the first read wasn't there, he was taken off. Peters is going to sit in there, probably take a few more sacks, take a few more hits. Um, but he's also going to find that second and third option when he drops back to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Michigan running game, um, we didn't really get a chance to see it in the Penn state game because, um, how quickly Penn state pulled away in the second half. Um, but they've done a great job. Um, Kron Higdon um, is not getting nearly enough attention as far as I'm concerned. Nope. Um, and then you add in Chris Evans and Ty Isaac too. Um, it's a it's a good Michigan running game. Um, I think they've kind of found that that happy medium with um, you know the, the running and passing attack. And then we all know about Gary and Hurst and Winovich and um, and everyone else on the defensive side of the ball. Um, uh, former future Penn Stater Cleek Hudson having an unbelievable year. Oh, his um, his PFF rating for last week's game was like a ninety nine point eight or something. He ridiculous. had he had seven or seven and a half tackles for loss. Like that's like <laughs> video game numbers. Remind me who they played uh, last week. I'm sorry. Remind me who they played last week. Minnesota. Ah, uh, yes. So so there were opportunities there, but and and Bill, you and I talked about this during the week. I think he fits Michigan's defense just perfectly in that. I think they call it the Viper position, the Something same like role that, that, yeah. that Jabril Peppers played, um, where you don't really necessarily have a whole lot of assignment football to worry about. You're more concerned with finding and destroying whoever has the football. Um, I'm, it's overly simplified, but that's generally generally what Cleek Hudson's job is. Um, but this is, it, I, I have a feeling this one's going to be weird. I'm going to be watching this one with my, my Michigan fan father, um, in downtown Detroit, um, they're coming up to visit again this weekend, and um, it's going to be interesting. They, they are they're a seventeen point favorite. That's I don't see it. Um, I think Maryland's been been undervalued even with the quarterbacks out. So um, Big Ten Network at three thirty. Don't change the channel after the Penn State game. I think something. Yeah. Then we yeah. might get some weird football in College Park. And speaking of weird football, let's end this with a game that um, the night game in the Big Ten for what. Well, for for some reason, like I don't, I don't necessarily know how television stuff works, but the fact that uh, Iowa and Wisconsin, which is also on an ESP, ESPN Family Networks, wasn't flexed into this game is very weird to me. But seven o'clock kick, ESPN two, Purdue at Northwestern. Matt, before we get into the game, we are playing the ticket price game. One thousand fifty seven seats uh, tickets available at Ryan Field. Tickets are how cheap for a night game. It is a night game. I must stress that for well, a Northwestern it's be about team, seven degrees in Chicago with the wind off. But the also, lake, so. Northwestern ranked legitimately a pretty good football team. They're six and three, riding a four-game winning streak since losing to Penn State. What do you think? I think you greatly overestimate how much anyone in Chicago and and even Northwestern alumni care about attending a game in person when they can watch it in the comfort of their home when it's that cold outside, it can't be more than, than seven or eight bucks on StubHub. 
five dollars. Yeah, it's, I'm. I'm uh, on one hand, I'm surprised for all the reasons you mentioned, but on the other hand, I'm not surprised for all the reasons that I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, uh, this game, th- this is really interesting to me because I think that if you throw them on a neutral field, I think Purdue's probably a better football team. I think when they're both playing their best, Purdue would wipe the floor with with Northwestern. But I also know Purdue's really inconsistent and. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, he's going to coach his guys up. They're going to be disciplined. They're, they're going to do all the Northwestern stuff. For a night game, for their first game this season as a ranked team. Neutral field, I think this game is Purdue by double digits, like a 10 or 14 point double digit, but still double digits. In Evanston, night kick with all the uh, good juju that Northwestern has right now, as long as Clayton Thorson doesn't turn the ball over, which I understand is about as big of an if as I could throw on a Big Ten football game, but as long as he is not making terrible mistakes, I think Northwestern wins this game. I'm actually going to go the other way um, for all the okay. reasons you mentioned that, that, that Purdue when they're playing well is, is the better team. Um, and I, I didn't realize until I literally looked it up as, as you were talking and, and I swear I was listening to, we mentioned Purdue being 38th overall um, in S and P plus Northwestern is 64th, you know, at, at six and three, they are 64th in the country in, in our friend Bill Conley's rankings. Um, and I, and I look at this now and it's kind of, um, the, the Michigan State win was a little bit of um, fool's gold in a sense, where they were they had a 35% win expectancy, and I'm not going to get into all the reasons why why that happened. But they have very much been a beat the teams that they are are better than um, Nevada, Bowling Green, Maryland, um, Iowa. They um, they got that win at home, and again they actually played very well. And um, I think you know Iowa had chances, but Northwestern played very well, um, and and they're good at home. I just feel like, and we talked about this early on in the year, probably one of the first or second weeks that we, and I think we probably stole this from from Bill Bill Conley, that Purdue is going to lose a game they probably shouldn't, and we I don't know what game that yeah, I guess we can maybe the Rutgers game we can chalk that up to. Yeah, they lost they lost that game twelve to fourteen. Like I think they also lost to Nebraska by one point. So and Wisconsin I, by. Well, one possession. I mean, it's possible that they had a pretty bad stretch of luck, but going down the stretch here, Northwestern, Iowa, and Indiana are all winnable games for them. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think they get either Northwestern or Iowa. Um, I'm going to say they get Northwestern. I know they're they're a higher-ranked team. Um, they, they are a, a two-point underdog, um, according to Bill Conley. They're four-and-a-half points, according to um, the, the folks out in the desert in Nevada. But I think going to Kinnick is a taller order than going to Ryan Field. Um, I, I think Purdue, Purdue wins this game. I think it's probably, again, kind of that weird Evanston football. Um, you even look at the Penn State game there. It was 31-7, but it was um, kind of just a, a, a weird game where no one really played terribly well for, for long stretches. Um, and, and typically when you get one of those games in Evanston, you feel like that's that favors Northwestern. Um but I, the job that Jeff Brom has done in West Lafayette is not getting nearly enough attention because they're just four and five. Um, they got a little bit of buzz for the Louisville game earlier in the year. Um, 
This team they should have, suck. Like, absolutely suck. They, they haven't had that, that win yet. They, they played Wisconsin tough. Um, they played Michigan tough. They pl- I'm looking through here. They played. Um, they should have beat Nebraska a couple weeks ago. Um, the 25-24 loss at home. Um, and I, I think they're right there. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to win out. I don't think they do. Um, I think two out of three seems pretty reasonable. Sorry, Crimson Quarry folks, but I think uh, the bucket goes back to Purdue this year. Um, but I. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they beat Northwestern on Saturday, probably lose at Iowa, beat Indiana, and go bowling. Which, given where Purdue was 12 months ago, is um, you know, coach of the year kind of material as far yeah, as I'm concerned. Jeff, Jeff Brom is one of those guys who I'm he, he's going to be linked to like the Tennessee job or something like his name's going to come up. I don't know if he takes. Oh, him, absolutely. Be to it, uh, but yeah, it should be a fun week in uh in college football, uh, and I think that. Said fun week I mean, with all the other big games going on. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but there are a few things. I, I mean, Oklahoma State, Indiana, uh, Oklahoma State, Iowa State is going to be hot fire, but, and as will UGA against Auburn, but, you know, we got Catholics versus convicts this week, and I cannot wait for that. Going to be a really fun week. Hopefully, it gets started off uh, with a Penn State win. Uh, ideally, the Nittany Lions are going to be, uh, we're, we're going to have a happy. Sunday podcast for the first time in a few weeks. So uh, if, even if we let Nick off double secret probation, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to talk about among that amongst ourselves, but for sure, uh, yeah, uh, Matt, I ha- had fun this this week. Let's uh, yeah, let's hope that we're in a good mood again next week and for every uh, podcast for the remainder of the season. Because I'm gonna admit, I don't like doing podcasts after Penn State loses. I, I think the, the, the mood would be even more sour um, sh- should we have one of those podcasts um, in any of the next three weeks. Oh, God, yep. We'd have to go back on our the uh, Nick-mandated uh, no-cussing rule. So we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Hopefully we don't get to it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, follow us on all of our social media channels at RLR Blog on Twitter. Roar Lions Roar on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe at our various podcast platforms. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a review, preferably five stars. Uh, very strongly, not preferably anything else. Uh, buy some shirts. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Uh, we love and appreciate all the help. And, you know, Penn State has a few home games coming up. So if you're going to be going, rock some RLR gear. And if you see any of us around, uh, come on up, say hello. We always appreciate that stuff. Uh, one more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.